Well, once again, if you've got your Bible, grab your Bible. We're going to begin this morning in the book of John, the Gospel of John, and you can head over to John chapter 13. Um, We're returning this morning to the Gospel of John as we continue through our series entitled Follow Jesus. What does it look like for followers or disciples of Jesus in their daily life to follow him and to live after him? And uh, this morning as we look at John chapter 13 and a couple of other passages, I just want to begin uh, kind of with a heart check, just to think about your own life and where you've been. And I just want to ask a question. Have you ever felt like you have made a mistake? And I'm talking about a, a sinful mistake, a bad mistake. One that you felt like, man, if people knew what I've done, they would not look at me the same. They would not want to spend time with me in the same way. If people knew what I had done, they would probably reject me. And what's more, if God knew what I had done, I don't know that he would want to save me or that he could save me, that he could go on loving me. I don't know if he could forgive. Uh, This morning's passages that we're going to look at We're going to begin in John chapter 13, then we're going to move to John chapter 18, and finally end in John chapter 21. And it's really the same story that has three moments to it, and it's the story of Peter, the lead follower of Jesus, and Jesus, and the two of them. And and what happens is Peter makes a, a phenomenal mistake, and it is very much a sinful mistake. It's one of the ugliest moments of his life. And I hope it's an encouragement to us to see that believers of all kinds are going to fail, but what we're going to see most of all is the way that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, responds to his follower in that moment. And so this morning's message is titled, Failures and Forgiveness. So let's begin by looking at John chapter 13. We're going to read first verses 36 through 38 uh, of that passage, beginning here. Hear the word of God. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Continuing on now, flip over, if you will, to John chapter 18, and let's begin in verse 15, and let's pick up the story where Jesus' prophetic prediction plays out here. Verse 15 of chapter 18, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The scripture goes on to describe what was happening for Jesus. Let's pick up, though, in verse 25 as we come back to what is happening now with Peter. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? 
He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's take a moment once again and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we admit freely right at the very beginning that we fail you in so many ways. Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning what it means to follow hard after you, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to follow hard and to obey rather than to fall into temptation and to sin. But, Father, we recognize that this passage is going to teach us that what we need is a Savior because we will inevitably fall. And so we look to King Jesus as our Savior and our Lord this morning, and we are so thankful for His forgiveness. Open our eyes this morning as we hear from Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three applications this morning on how to face our sinful failures by looking to the forgiveness of Jesus. Number one, first point this morning is just this, anyone can fail. Just to be honest for a moment, recognize from the Scripture here, anyone can fail. Because this here is really Peter, it's his worst moment. Uh, It is by far one of the most humiliating dark moments of his entire life. And we have to wonder from the passage right off the bat, why on earth does John, the writer of this gospel, feel the need to sort of air Peter's dirty laundry? Um, Well, there's a couple good answers to that question as to why John tells us explicitly about Peter's huge mistake. The first is we know uh, that all Scripture is fully inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the answer, first of all, is it's there because God wanted it there and because God wanted us to have here a powerful example of the gospel of Jesus in action right before us. But if we look humanly speaking, even at Peter, the second important thing to know is that the gospel of Mark also includes this exact same story. And Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, was heavily encouraged and influenced and led by Peter. And so Peter wanted to make sure as well that in Mark's gospel that this same story was included. And that's interesting because that tells us that following Jesus had so profoundly changed Peter's life, that he wanted his worst moments on display for the world to see because they displayed the glorious grace of his Savior, Jesus. But here we see right at the very beginning in verses 36 to 38, Peter is going to challenge Jesus, and that's really where his mistakes begin. This passage that we're looking at here in chapter 13, this is the exact same moment that we looked at a few weeks ago where Jesus first washes all 12 disciples' feet. And then he leads all 12 disciples in the very first Lord's Supper and he teaches them about the bread and that's going to represent his body broken and the, the blood represented by the cup of wine that they take together. And in that exact same moment, this conversation begins to unfold. At the same moment, Judas will be called out by Jesus. Jesus will say, this man is the one who will betray me. Judas gets up and runs out of the room. And we don't see Judas again because he's gone to get the Roman soldiers to betray and arrest Jesus. And so Jesus says to Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. 
but you will follow later. It's interesting that Jesus chooses not to give a super clear answer to Peter who is questioning him because Jesus is going to reveal his answer in his actions. What he is about to do will answer clearly because he is about to be arrested, beaten, crucified, give up his life, and then three days later rise from the dead and ascend back up to heaven, and he's going to show exactly who he is. Peter, though, says, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. I'll lay down my life for you. But in fact, it is Jesus who that very next day is going to lay down his life for Peter, and he's going to lay down his life for us. And then Jesus warns Peter that he's going to deny him three times before the morning breaks. You know, before we beat up on Peter too much and just toss him aside, it's important to recognize if we step back and look at the whole of the Gospels that Peter genuinely was a faithful follower. Peter has been following Jesus these last three years since the moment that Jesus called Peter away from being a fisherman and said, come and be a fisher of men. When the other disciples didn't believe, Peter makes an incredibly powerful declaration in Matthew chapter 16. It's Peter, not the other disciples, who will say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus responds in that moment, well, you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church Remember, it's Peter who walked out on the water at Jesus' invitation. By faith, Peter walked on the water. And the very night that we're looking at now that Jesus was betrayed, Peter followed Jesus right up to the, um, the moment where Jesus is going to be uh, put on trial. All of the other disciples, except for Peter and one other unnamed disciple, have already abandoned Jesus. And by the way, that unnamed disciple is John. John never refers to himself in this passage, but John is the one who is an eyewitness to all these things that are taking place. So my point is this, Peter loved Jesus. Peter was not a coward. He even tried to defend Jesus, and that's where we get that crazy story where Peter pulls out a sword and actually cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers arresting Jesus, a man named Melchus. But even though Peter loved Jesus, even though he tried to defend Jesus, he still failed. Guys, anyone can fail. But I want to give us an encouragement, even as we consider our own sinfulness, that, that God has made a way out of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, Satan loves to tell all of God's people really one of two different lies. The first lie that he tells us is no one else has to deal with temptation that is this hard. No one else has to deal with challenges like I face. And so therefore we justify, well, this temptation is just so powerful that I cannot possibly resist it. And that the victim mindset that sets in or the excuse making or the rejecting of personal responsibility comes straight from Satan. 
But on the other side, there's a second lie that so many of us believe, and that is, well, I'm so spiritual, I'm so holy now that I could never be susceptible to that kind of temptation. And there again, the lie of Satan manifests in our heart, and the sinfulness that comes out of it is pride and self-righteousness and a foolishness that thinks that I'm too good to give in to temptations like that. Guys, recognize that Peter understood the danger. That's why he was carrying a sword. He was prepared for it. Jesus had warned him by prophecy that he was going to deny Jesus three times. And even with all of that, he still failed. What we should see is that if, if Peter, the leader of the 12 disciples, can fail Jesus, so will all of us. But as believers, we humbly rely on the grace and the power of Jesus alone, and we desire to be faithful followers. So the question next for us from this text is, well, how do we follow Jesus? Number two is this. Our second point this morning is follow Jesus closely. Follow Jesus closely. From this passage, I'm going to walk you through now in the second part of the, of the message. I just want to give you five little things that we learn through Peter's failure, what it means to follow Jesus closely. The first is this, pray dependently rather than failing to pray. Pray dependently rather than failing to pray. And we see this because Jesus commanded all the disciples to pray. The night that Jesus would, was betrayed, he said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Interestingly, he said that three times. And Peter and the other disciples, I don't know if you remember this, what do they do? They fall asleep. Do you, do we pray against temptation? Do we pray against sin in our own lives? Do we pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's power in our lives? Do we pray that God would use trials and temptations in our life, that He would use them for His glory and so that we might use those moments of weakness and even failure in order to disciple and to encourage other believers along the way. I ask that because Jesus actually prays for Peter about this exact moment. And in Luke chapter 22, he prays that Peter would come through the temptation and failure stronger and that he would use his experience to lead and disciple others. And I think it's the same for us pray dependently. The second thing that we see is walk humbly in grace rather than overconfident. Walk humbly in grace rather than overconfident. Peter begins this whole mess by saying, Lord, where are you going? You know, it is not a straightforward question as it kind of sounds in English. It's actually sort of a leading question. It's really, it's really a protest against Jesus. It goes something like this. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. It doesn't matter what you say. And tell me where you're going so I can prove it to you. And then he goes on to say, I will lay down my life for you, which we know absolutely will not happen. Peter's passion certainly comes from a genuine love for Jesus, but it is overconfident. It's ignorant. Jesus shows us the way. John chapter 15 and verse 5 is, is a powerful verse, a great one for us to memorize. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing. What an encouragement to know that Jesus has presented himself in that way, that he is the vine and we are the branches, that if we abide in him, we can bear much fruit. Third on our list of things that we can learn from Peter as to how to follow Jesus closely is follow closely rather than at a distance. And that may sound fairly obvious. Well, yeah, okay, so be close, not far away. But look at exactly how this plays out for Peter and for Jesus. I think the the impact for our hearts ought to be substantial here. The book of Luke chapter 22, verse 54 says that as they brought Jesus into trial, that Peter, quote, followed at a distance. John 18, 16 says it this way. It says that he stood outside. Now we know, again, the other disciples have fled already, but not Peter and not John. But where is the faith? Where is the boldness from Peter who had just got done saying that he was going to die for Jesus? And if we think about ourselves, guys, too many Christians today want to be quiet and want to be in the background as followers of Jesus. And we don't want to be associated with Jesus in public because we are afraid of the consequences. We're afraid to be seen or known as followers of Jesus, and so we're content to be off in the distance, standing aside, following at a distance. But guys, remember that the safest place that you can be is standing next to Jesus. The safest place that you can be is centered in His commands and in His will and His plan for your life, regardless of what others may say or do to you. Why? Because Jesus has already won. We stand today, we live in a time today, not of chaos, not of confusion, not of hopelessness. We live in a day today where Jesus is King. Jesus is the victor already. John 16, says it well, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Fourth on our list of five, live sent into the world and not in the comfort and the company of Jesus' enemies. Let me say that again, live sent into the world and not in the comfort and company of Jesus' enemies. In John chapter 18 and verse 22, Jesus is literally being punched in the face for living out truth and grace. And Peter, at the same moment, is warming himself by a fire, getting comfortable, the Bible says, with the enemies of God. What does this mean for for us? What do we do with that? It doesn't mean that we should hold up in our homes and we should only talk to Christians. But guys, at the same time, it also does not mean that we should take scissors to God's word and cut out all the parts that people won't like that might possibly be offensive so that people will like us. It doesn't mean either of those things. Let me give you the path forward. Jesus tells us in John chapter 17, and maybe jot down this reference to go back to it later. John 17, verses 14 through 18, Jesus speaking, praying to God the Father, I have given them your word. He's talking about us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. If you didn't catch on to it, this is where we get the very often quoted phrase, in the world but not of it. And I want to be very clear, when we say in the world but not of it, this is what it means. Jesus said, live sent into the world on the offensive, tearing down the gates of hell, living the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, live sent into the world, and then, but not of it, not given to the comfort and the company of the enemies of God. Do we stand, brothers and sisters, more with the enemy culture, or do we stand more with Jesus on his mission to a broken culture. What that means is we should teach what Jesus teaches. We should be passionate and prioritize what what Jesus prioritizes. We should love and value who Jesus loves and values. We should love one another the way that Jesus loves us, his church. We should live mercy and justice the way that Jesus lives mercy and justice, and we should be on his mission the way that he was on mission when he was here in the earth. Fifth and finally, live in fear of God rather than fear of man. Live in fear of God rather than fear of man. Peter failed because he feared man instead of fearing God. And this plays out in in our second passage here in John 18, He denies Jesus three times, and he denies Jesus to a maid or a servant girl, to a random group of servants and officers, and to another servant, uh, an unnamed guy who we're told is related to Melchus. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 that speaks to this idea. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus is saying, do not fear the enemies of God. Fear God, but in a way that you know that he loves you. And we see exactly that play out in Peter's changed life after his failure. Look at who he is throughout the rest of Scripture. Just one example, a powerful example in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the the, the powers that be in Israel have come to Peter and the other disciples many times and said, stop talking about Jesus. And they threaten them with all kinds of things, beatings and even death. And Peter says this to this room of people in verse 29 and 30 of Acts 5. We must obey God rather than men. He goes on to say, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. (laughs) That's guts. He's declaring the truth that because Jesus is alive, I must fear God and not you. 
And he's even so bold as to remind them that they themselves are the ones who hung Jesus on a tree. If you're trying to make friends, if you're trying to get along with the culture without being offensive, that is the last thing that you would say. But Peter is no longer afraid of men. He fears God, meaning he knows that God is sovereign and that God loves and cares for him. And guys, as we consider these things now, this morning is a chance for all of us to just get honest with the Lord and admit, Lord, there are so many ways where I have followed you at a distance. There are so many ways where I could have spoken up and I chose not to. There's so many ways where I, I should have been prayerful and I, I haven't. There's so many ways that I have denied you just like Peter. And to be able to confess is a sweet thing. It's a powerful thing to admit, Jesus, I, I failed. But it doesn't just end there. Third and finally, Jesus forgives and restores followers who fail. Jesus forgives and restores followers who fail. Let's move ahead now. This is the last story. This is John chapter 21. This is at the very end of the gospel of John, after the resurrection. Listen to this story. Now, this is verses 15 through 17 of John chapter 21, if you want to flip ahead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It's interesting that Peter here finds real comfort, not in the company and the comfort of the enemies of God, but he's going to find it here in the company of Jesus and his followers. The Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, and it, in this moment, they are by the Sea of Tiberias. And John gives us several very important details. It says, Peter and five other disciples were out fishing, and Jesus came up and calls out to them without having yet been recognized by them. And Jesus says, friends, do you have any fish? And they answer, no. And so Jesus says to them, throw your nets on the right side, and you will find some. And their nets suddenly become full of a miraculous catch of fish. John even writes that there was exactly 153 fish that are caught. And it's in this moment that Peter realizes, man, that's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And all of the other disciples do what normal people do. They take the boat in to greet Jesus as well. But you can imagine in Peter's heart right now, in his mind, the joy that he is feeling to see the resurrected Jesus and to see that the resurrected Jesus is pursuing him after everything that he has done. And then there's another fire. There's another gathering around a fire. In chapter 18, Peter was warming himself by a fire built by his enemies. But in chapter 21, Peter is invited to warm himself by a fire built by the resurrected King of Kings. 
And then there's these words of confession that Jesus offers up to Peter. It's interesting and it's important that Jesus addresses Peter here by his old name, Simon. That's the name that Jesus had replaced three years earlier when Jesus first called Simon. He renames him Peter. See, the word Simon, the name Simon, it literally means pebble. Something insignificant, something easily blown about, tossed and moved by the wind and the rain and the storms. And he says, no, no, your name is no longer pebble. Your name is Peter, which means rock, something faithful, something solid. And it is by Jesus' grace that this change has happened in Peter's life. And so Jesus is reminding Peter in a moment of confession, this is where you came from, from weakness. But out of my love for you, I have made you strong and I have made you who you are today. Remember, Peter, what you were, but see who you are now. And then Jesus begins with these words of love. Jesus asks, do you truly love me more than these? Most likely, Jesus is saying, do you love me, Peter, more than these other disciples? But the words that Jesus uses for love and the words that Peter uses for love, again, are important. And in English, we don't necessarily see that fully played out. But in Greek, Jesus says, do you agape love me? And agape love is the word for sacrificial love. And it's a word that is used in relationship to God. And Peter is going to answer, yes, Lord, I phileo love you. And phileo love is a love that is a powerful love, but it's a friendship love. It's a human kind of love. And so the very first time Jesus asked, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo you, Lord, because Peter is humbled. He's driven by grace now. He's no longer overconfident. He knows that he cannot claim agape love. And so the second time Jesus asks, do you agape me? And Peter says again, yes, Lord, I phileo love you. And then the third time Jesus asks, do you phileo love me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo love you. What is Jesus doing as he says, do you agape love me? Do you agape love me? And then he says, finally, do you phileo love me? Jesus is saying, I know that you can't quite love me the way that I love you, but I love you. Peter, I love you, and I know that you love me. Brothers and sisters, we can find incredible comfort in the knowledge, the sovereign knowing of God. See, before Peter challenges Jesus' knowledge, he says, no, no, Jesus, you're wrong. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm capable of. But now Peter appeals to Jesus' sovereign knowledge when he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's a comfort. Followers of Jesus, it is a comfort that Jesus knows our hearts. He knows the worst things about us. He knows the worst things that we've done already, and He still loves us. That's why Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates His love towards us in this, while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' forgiveness And restoration is complete here in this scene. And one of the ways we know it's complete is because he does it three times. Right? Peter denied Jesus three times. But Jesus forgives three times. It's a whole different thing than we experience in this world. 
the world systems that we live in today say there is no forgiveness. The world says you are your sin, the end, no second chances, no opportunity for repentance. But the Bible says something different. The Bible says something better. Even in the Old Testament, Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast Lord love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Peter was forgiven fully. Peter was forgiven immediately. Peter was forgiven eternally, and he did nothing to earn it. And it is the same for you. When you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you are forgiven completely. You are forgiven immediately. You are forgiven eternally, and there's nothing that you can do to earn it. It's by God's grace. It's out of His abundant love for us. See, we think that big sins are deal breakers with God, but the Bible is clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible is also clear that all sin, no matter how bad, can be forgiven by God. And so Jesus, in that same conversation, says to Peter three times, Feed my sheep feed my sheep. Peter was being restored to his mission. He was being re-sent. Three denials from Peter, three confessions of forgiveness from Jesus, and three restorations from Jesus. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. God says to us through Jesus Christ the same thing, child of God, I'm not done with you. I'm just beginning with you, no matter what mistakes you have made. Child of God, I forgive you, no matter what. I restore you to the good plans and purposes that I have for you. All of us who follow Jesus have all, in so many ways, denied Jesus, followed at a distance. We can identify with Peter and his failures, but everyone who will trust in the name of Jesus Christ, will find grace and mercy and forgiveness and restoration from the only one who can provide it, from King Jesus, the Son of God. Let's look to Him this morning. Let's take a moment and let's pray together now.